You logged on to uh, Soundbites. Welcome, welcome, Peter. How are you? I'm well, thank you, Russell. Yourself? I'm going deaf. Are you going deaf? <laughs> Why? Going too much Eurovision at full volume? Or I don't know. I just have uh, having issues, but that's okay. <laughs> um, so we are talking about survival stories today on Soundbites. Yeah, great survival stories uh, of the of you know people who have. Uh, whether they were like, prepared for it or not, they were thrown into the deep end and uh, uh, managed to survive. Well, that's that were, it's great that they survived. Yeah, no, Firstly. that's great. Um, okay, my headset is really playing up, so I'm just going to take them off and just deal with no headset. Um, Hugh Glass. Let's, t- let's okay, jump straight. let's start with Hugh <laughs> that Glass. That ruined my end, I think. <laughs> but I was going to say Leo DiCaprio played him in Titanic and Sunk. Yeah, um, and for everyone who knows their Oscars, they would know that he got a Oscar for this. Yeah, for uh, the movie for playing Hugh Glass in The Revenant. So tell us about Hugh Glass. All right, so this is a story. This this one goes back to eighteen twenty three. So it's quite an old um, uh, story for uh, Hugh Glass, who was a, an American frontiersman, and he was a fur trapper. Um, so he joined a fur trading expedition uh, that had begun a year earlier, and that was backed by William Ashley. Uh, in the late August, Glass, who was hunting ahead, separated from the group, and he encountered, of all things, a grizzly bear and her two cubs. Uh, and if you remember from uh, the movie with Leonardo DiCaprio being mauled by this grizzly bear, that actually happened to Hugh Glass. Uh, and he survived the attacks, you know, even though he was severely mauled. So he had a broken leg, he had a ripped scalp, uh, and a punctured throat. Um, That's never good if you get a punctured no. throat. Now is it? <laughs> no. You know, any one of those things on their own would put your life at uh, severe jeopardy, especially if you've got no medical attention and you're far away from any sort of, um, you know, medical yeah, supervision, yeah, you know, first yeah. aid or anything like that. So. Um, Totally. He, he was uh, found and assisted by two men, um, but they had minimum equipment with them. So they carried him on. Um, it's called a litter, but it's it's like a makeshift um, stretcher. Uh, and they carried him on that. Um, and and the, and they were told that uh, uh, if they looked after him until he passed away, they would receive a bonus uh, by giving him a proper burial. Sure. However, he lived. He did live, and believe it or not, and they killed him. Even though no, they didn't. Damn. No, they didn't. Even though they would have got a bonus if he died. Did they get? The, did they get a bonus? Well, I don't think they actually did. Because God. he didn't die. But we you know what they they did abandon him. So what the, they abandoned him? Yeah, the only signs of life that he had were a few eye movements and and breathing. And so, even though these two fellows who waited for him, John Fitzgerald and Jim uh, Bridger, um, they waited for him. They were expecting him to die at any moment so they could bury him and then you know, catch up with the rest and then get the bonus and all that sort of stuff. Um, they decided, you know what, after five days, we've had enough of waiting for him to die. Uh, he can only be a few more hours from death. So, they put a blanket over him uh, and they left him. Okay. So... Um, so that basically, and when I say a blanket, they only left him like a bear hide to keep his you know body warm, uh, assuming that he wouldn't really make it. However, Hugh Glass continued to cling to life, uh, and after treating his own injuries, he lived off berries and roots and insects, uh, and he made an excruciating two hundred mile journey. So that's nearly three and a half, uh, three hundred um, 
sorry, 200 mile journey. Yes, yeah, so 350 uh, mile uh, kilometer journey back to camp. So he, so with these horrendous injuries and and really sort of being patched together with leaves and with sticks and yeah, you know twigs. Um, uh, he did receive, however, some help from the Lakota tribe along the way, uh, and managed to bargain his way onto a skin boat, uh, which made his trip a lot faster. But he he, he managed to uh, muster the strength to survive the trip. Um, <laughs> and basically, he was really driven by revenge of the two men that left him behind. Um, you know, so uh, when he did actually finally... Um, catch and, and it took him two months to catch up to them. Uh, but he did make it there. Uh, and uh, he, he said to one of the other guys, you know, if you ever leave this company, I'll kill you um, for leaving me behind. Uh, he was fiercely loyal to this fur trapping company uh, for reasons unknown. Um, and so the rumor has it that the guy remained with the company until he died because he was too scared of leaving and having Hugh Glass come and take him away, take him down. Yeah, I, 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 I yeah, I think that they did the wrong thing by leaving him. Well, but then know, again, it, 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 what what year we're talking? We're talking eighteen twenty three. I mean, this is when people. I were... would have just stabbed you, Glass, and just gone. Oh, he died. Not my problem. <laughs> Remind me not to get sick around you. <laughs> Like, <laughs> just murder them. No, you can't just do that. Well, they, How would they know? He, he got all these scratches and all these punctures from a bear. What's another puncture? Just this time in the skull. But I think they they probably, Oops. you know, based, based on the severity of his injuries, they probably just thought, look, this guy is literally minutes from death. Well, I would have thought that he was too. And if he wasn't, I would have killed him. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ever get into the medical or healing professions oh. <laughs> or first aid. Never want to. Never have it. Gosh, if I, if I need CPR, I'm going to go crawl over to the shop next door. You'd have a better chance with the bear. <laughs> yeah, imagine that. Imagine that. <laughs> okay, well, we're talking about uh, people who were nearly out of oxygen and nearly dead. We're going to move over to Apollo 13. Now, this one is, we all know that big saying, one giant leap for mankind. Uh, no, I know I just stuffed that up. but no, Actually, you're right. You, you were good. One, it's one, <laughs> one giant, giant leap, leap for, for mankind. mankind. No, yeah. it's one more step for a man and one giant leap for mankind. Something like that. Let's just, yeah. let's just, we'll edit it in post. It's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. So we just heard the clip there. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> live so on one radio. small step for a man, one giant leap for mankind. <laughs> for everyone listening live on radio, so sorry. Go listen to the podcast. Mm. Oh. Um, now, just like we're nearly out of oxygen, <laughs> these guys were nearly out of oxygen yeah, as well. So this, this, I mean, I, I don't know if everyone's seen the movie Apollo 13. It's a great movie, very um, close to the actual facts. Well, I was there when it happened. <laughs> don't worry. The movie? No, 1970. I'm that old. You're not that old. No, I'm not. Actually, it's 18 years yeah, before okay. me. Moving yeah. on. Um, so, <laughs> this is going back to April 11th, 1970. And NASA has just launched the Apollo 13 mission yep. uh, to send three astronauts to the moon. I'm sure if you remember the movie, it was James A. Lovell, John uh, Swigert and uh, Fred Hayes. Uh, and they were due to be the third manned mission to land on the moon. So this is the third time that NASA had sent. Oh, uh, that's right, because it's Apollo 11 that 
landed successfully on the moon, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, Neil Armstrong. Yeah, this is the only Apollo mission that didn't land on the moon. Because of failure. Yeah, so you had Neil Armstrong, you had um, dear old uh, Buzz Aldrin and uh, William uh, Russell, I think his name was. How could you forget his last name? It's my last, my first name. Yeah, I know, but um, you know, my, my brain isn't uh, where, where it used to be many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> Don't say that, you're very smart. So, so basically uh, what happened is uh, 56 hours into the flight uh, from leaving Earth, just for people who don't understand yeah, this. So they were on their way they to the moon. They were on the way to, to the moon. The oxygen tank 2 exploded. Uh, so imagine the sound effect that one would have yeah, been. Yeah. Um, <laughs> things you don't want to hear on your way to the moon. <laughs> things you... Well, if you've been on an aeroplane... Or anywhere. You don't want to hear an explosion anywhere you go. Just imagine the the aeropl- people on the aeroplanes have hear, <laughs> heard an engine explode. Yeah. Very similar, I would expect. It would expect, yeah, but, but there is no oxygen in space. None. So sound doesn't. You, yeah, whatever you take with you is all you got. Absolutely. So we don't actually know how big this oxygen tank was, but let's just assume it was very big, um, <laughs> disabling the normal supply of oxygen. That's really interesting. That tank two was the normal supply of oxygen. Well, not tank one. You would have a primary and secondary. Well, tank two should should have been the secondary. Well, we're talking about pure oxygen here because what happens is, is that, believe it or not, humans actually don't need a lot of oxygen to survive. Don't we? No, we don't because one, our atmosphere only contains about 20% oxygen. So we're breathing mainly nitrogen and some other elements. Um, Carbon dioxide. There's a little bit uh, of that in there as well. So, you know. The, Laughing the, gas. <laughs> I don't think so, um, but so. But anyway, you, you can't just be wasting oxygen in space. But we can scrub um, uh, uh, carbon dioxide and turn a you know take the, the additional and molecule turn it back and turn it back into breathable oxygen. oxygen, which is amazing because that's what they had to do. They had to get the scrubbers <laughs> out and start scrubbing yeah. uh, the chemicals. So basically, the chemicals uh, canisters uh, were. Or I should, we should actually say carbon dioxide scrubbing chemical canisters. canisters. Uh, to keep the air breathable. Now, that was on the way back to Earth. Yeah, so when when you think about it, what was being sent to the moon was there was a lunar module and attached to that was a... Um, Did they get them to the moon? That's the question. Well, what happened was is that they wouldn't have enough oxygen um, to land on the moon, do their mission, return uh, to the limb, and then return back to Earth. So basically, they had to go around the moon, uh, do a bit of a slingshot, sort of pick up speed from the gravity pull of the moon and then fling it all the way back to Earth. So they never got to land on the moon, these poor fellows. So they were carrying more weight than they should have as well when they came back to the Earth. Well, they needed that because that was part of the momentum of it all. Oh, so they, so hang on. So Sorry, we've got to stop here and just talk about <laughs> this a little bit more detail because the original mission was to put some items on the moon. Yeah, so what would happen is, is normally when you get to the moon, what would happen is, is you would have uh, the lunar module, um, and that basically brings you down to the planet, uh, to the moon surface, and then on top of the lunar module is then another module that lifts off and returns you um, to the spacecraft in orbit that's waiting for you. Yep. You connect onto that. You then use that to head back to Earth, and then when you finally get back to our atmosphere, you all crawl into this little capsule this the, the very tip of the the rocket 
and you leave the whole lot behind because that all gets burnt up. Um, and you just make your way back to the earth and you do Very little... wasteful as, a, as humans Oh, the, er, the early early stuff was extremely wasteful. You know, most of it was just fuel tanks. Yep. You know, when you think of the, the Apollo rocket, all, the, all that, you know, 30-storey business is just fuel tanks. There's most very a, 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 um, a junkyard on, on the moon at the moment with some aliens selling it. <laughs> there's also a lunar, well, not a lunar, but there's a, a there's a lot of junk in our space. But there's also a lot of junk in our ocean, um, oh, and there's a particular true. spot in our ocean where, uh, whenever returning space junk come it re-enters the atmosphere, they sort of aim it for that spot in the ocean. So there's actually like a little um, space equipment graveyard. So in other words, can we please get a, a deep diving vessel and start salvaging some of this stuff so we can make some money off it? I don't think it's worth much. It's all it might not be bad. worth much, but imagine the people just go, oh, there's the Apollo yeah. 11 capsule down there. Yeah, it could be good um, um, museum piece. Could be. But so basically they swung around. And then they and started coming back. But, they but the drama didn't stop there. No. They, uh, according to the notes here on the file uh, that Peter's put together, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm stealing his, his, his glory here, but they were nearly at freezing temperatures. Yeah, so um, the, the, when the, the oxygen tank exploded, it disabled a lot of things. So it wasn't just um, they lost oxygen, but they also lost uh, quite a bit of electricity generation, uh, light and water. Um, so they really had to go into this extreme preservation mode. Lucky um, you can drink your pee. Well, you can only do that once, maybe twice. I'm sure they did it. I don't know if they could. They're in space. Yeah, because everything anything. sort of gets. Anyway, we won't go into how. <laughs> we'll say how, that for how another episode. Waste is eliminated in spacecraft. They renew that now in the in the national in the space station. Oh, everything. Yep, Your everything poop gets all poop, sweat, anything that's moisture-producing, <sighs> all gets recycled into drinking water. <laughs> uh, anyway, on the April the 14th, so literally three days later, yeah, three uh, days. Apollo 13 swung by the moon and on April 17th, at last minute, navigat- navigational corrections were made, this time uh, using Earth as an alignment guide. Now, don't we normally align things with the sun? It depends on where you're going. To the moon. Let's say I'm going to the moon. Where so, am I going to align to? Well, when... So when we head to the moon, we use the moon, and when we head to Earth, we use Earth. So why was last-minute correctional stuff happening? What happened there? Well, you always have to make small corrections. But that sounds like a big correction. Well, a l- a uh, last-minute yeah. navigational yeah, correction. Yeah, because you did they overswing? No, because what it was was there was a they were concerned about the heat shield on the capsule. Um, and they weren't sure how, from the explosion, how much of the heat shield was actually damaged. So they had to make sure, or what they were trying to do was minimise the um, angle that the capsule was coming into the atmosphere. Um, and so there was this whole period where they thought, you know what, we've managed to get them all the way back to Earth, even in this damaged spacecraft, even running out of oxygen, freezing to death, um, you know, they could barely keep warm only to be burnt up in re-entry if the heat shield was damaged. Um, well, it's interesting as well, fun fact for people who like Apollo 11, 12 and 13, uh, on re-entry, a blackout lasted around six minutes, yeah. uh, beginning at 
I don't know why this is in seconds, but 142.39 and ending at 142.45 and was 1 minute and 26, sorry, 1 minute and 27 seconds longer than had been predicted. Yeah, so that that was like if you if you remember the movie, they were all just sitting there waiting to hear from the Apollo 13 um, crew to find out whether they had survived re-entry or not. So, it, and actually, it, it's it's been stated that the Apollo 13 mission was a uh, movie was so factual and correct that some people from NASA have said it could even be used as a documentary um, that they got all the the details right. They must have had to get it classif- unclassified. They would have got details from NASA. That's oh yeah, like, like there would be things. There's not much about the Apollo missions that were classified anyway. I'm surprised because it was the big, big thing that that really did the space race really end after the Apollo though? Because uh, there was a space race to get to the moon first. Well, you know, this is where <laughs> got yeah, to side topic. <laughs> yeah, so if we, if we're going to sidetrack into the space race, you know, if you really want to, if. It, the Americans, the only thing that they achieved first was making it to the moon, which let's not... That's great, let, yeah, great, let's great, not, great. Let's However, not make that sound to those that that's not a, a huge you're achievement. You're not the first person to get to space. Well, no, they were... Russia was the first... Plus um, Russia to beat us, or beat them. Well, Russia was the first to put a, any sort of object into orbit. Or um, was it? A satellite. A satellite, Sputnik. It was Sputnik, yes. Um, Russia was the first um, country to put a, an animal into orbit, then the first country to hang put... On, hang on, hang on. They put an animal into yeah, orbit? Yeah, they, they put a dog into orbit. A or, dog? Yeah, to make sure that the capsule was safe for humans. Uh, what happened to the dog? It I died. guess it... Oh. Oof. Yeah, sadly. Sadly On re-entry or...? No, no, it died up there. Was it just left up there? No, no. It eventually, about four months later, that craft then burnt up during reentry. It was n- the dog was never going to survive the trip. Sadly, Russia. How could you, Russia? Goodbye. Well, <laughs> um, okay, let's move on from sadly, that. So Russia was also the first country to put a, uh, an astronaut, a cosmonaut, I should say, didn't make it back to Earth either. No, he did. <laughs> Yuri Gagarin did. Yeah. Oh, so so they couldn't save a dog yet. They saved a human. Well, that's the point of sending the dog first to make sure that... They couldn't send a chicken or a dumb, dumb well, animal. you know, the, the Americans sent monkeys and, you know, <laughs> and the Russians they... were the first to send a, a, a female cosmonaut into space. Um, they were the first to, to set a, a space station up. I think we really need to do a whole space segment, one, like oh, space yeah. show one day. So And so. so, therefore, you know, when we talk about the space race... Uh, and they say, well, you know, the Americans won because they made it to the moon. You sort of think, well, they made they won that one, but every other victory goes to, to Russia. And Russia's got the Sputnik COVID vaccine out first. Yeah, Sputnik 5. Uh, so good on them for keep, keeping their name. <laughs> they only uh, got it out first because they decided to skip stage three trials and go straight hey, to stage matter. four. It doesn't matter. They skipped it. They got it out there, there first. Okay, good on them. Um, they gotta have uh, they gotta have some victory somewhere. Actually, you know the Sputnik Five is actually just as uh, effective as our Pfizer. Yep, and and it's not even our Pfizer. Um, it's, uh, it's the American German. And uh, we will not have Sputnik Five here because well, we don't like Russia apparently, according to the government. Um, trade wars with U.S. sanctions. No, we do a number of trade with uh, Russia. 
Anyway, that's another topic <laughs> altogether. We're going to take a break. Okay. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, Aaron Ralston. Ralston, if, yeah. If I pronounced that correctly. We're back on the other side of this. This is Soundbites. DRN1 United, Perth dedicated LGBTIQA plus station. You're locked on to DRN1. This is Soundbites. And we're going to keep talking about survival stories. Now that my headphones are fixed, I don't know what ah. I did. I fixed them. But you done. You fixed it. Yeah, fixed them. Fixed them earlier. Oh, as the rain keeps yeah. coming down. Yeah. Uh. So Aaron Ryston. Yeah. So th- uh, you might. This uh, was another one that was turned into a movie. So uh, it's starring James Franco. It was called 127 Hours. So this is. Let, a- let me guess. He was trapped on a spacecraft. No. No. Damn. A submarine. Sort of. Absolutely not. Oh, damn. So <laughs> okay, tell me how did he survive 127 hours and where? Well, actually, this, this one is a bit, um, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit confronting because you sort of reflect on this and you think, what would I have done? Um, I would have chewed my arm off. I just read well, it. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, you, 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 look, you released the punchline. In fact, anyone who'd seen the movie 127 hours would know what the punchline is. And it's not a punchline. What a silly Wasn't thing to say. Wasn't he a say. rock climber? He was a rock climber. All right. So, so he was hiking alone through the Blue John Canyon in East Wayne County in Utah uh, when a boulder dislodged and trapped his right forearm as he was descending a narrow slot. Um, however, he hadn't told anybody his whereabouts, so he thought he was going to die. So he then, whilst he was pinned under this boulder, uh, or his arm was pinned under this boulder, he spent the next five days just slowly drinking water, uh, and then, of course, we got to the urine drinking stage where he started drinking that when his water supply ran out. Uh, he made several attrem- attempts to break in the boulder, but he didn't succeed. And then early on, he realized he'd have to amputate his own arm. So after experimenting with tourniquets uh, and shallow cuts to his arm, he knew on the fourth day that he'd have to cut through the bone. Ew. I know. Uh, and uh, he just didn't have the tools to do it. So by the fifth day, Aaron carved out his name, date of birth, and presumed death on uh, the canyon wall and videotaped his goodbyes to his family. And on the following day, uh, his arm began to decompose due to lack of circulation. So hang on, hang on, hang on. Did he end up cutting his arm? Right, so this is where he then had an epiphany, and he went... Uh, he could feel his bone bend and he realised he could use the boulder to break yeah. it. <laughs> I know. Oh, this, this is what this I mean okay, by... Can we, can we just hurry this one up? This is disgusting. No, I'm going to drag it out now. So he oh. managed He managed to break his arm oh. uh, and he proceeded in the duration of an hour oh. to amputate his arm with his multi-tool. So one of those little things that has, you know, like... Oh, screwdriver, a, a blade, this a, is okay. <laughs> we get a it. corkscrew, we get it. a magnifying glass. This is really disgusting. And a toothpick. Gr- yep, this is giving me the creeps. So, believe it or not, he was both... PG show, people. Yeah, I know, but he was delirious and dehydrated. Good so on him, I hope he didn't feel a thing. I hope he didn't feel a thing either. So um, <laughs> especially, you know... He did it for over an hour, yeah. just like uh, cutting and slacking. I just want to puke. And uh, hacking into it. And yeah, the, the visuals are not helping, Peter. Oh, aren't they? <laughs> no. I had that just constant no. pounding and breaking and ripping. This is radio. They can't see you. I'm sweating my guts up yeah, here. Yeah, no, that's why I'm doing it. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, I'm, oh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't mean to make you feel uncomfortable. Queasy. Queasy. If I get up and faint, we know what to do. <laughs> 
Well, at least you know I will help you, whereas if it was the other way around, you'd probably stab me and go off and have a beer. So anyway, so Aaron climbed out of the canyon slot. <laughs> he managed to go, to make it down a 60-foot sheer walk and marched With out one arm. The... Well, yeah, he left the other one behind. <laughs> well, what was he going to do? Yeah, okay, the good story here is uh, he was found by a family of three who were on vacation uh, they gave him food and brought him to an emergency room, yeah. which, well done to those three. He wouldn't be alive without them. A fox or a bear would have come and got him. Yeah, well. But may- they got maybe. one arm. Yeah, so so anyway, so. Uh, Good on him. Good on him for, for actually surviving. And and uh, he, uh, Aaron spectacularly, that he, well, hang on later, Aaron spectacularly. Speculated, speculated that if he had amputated his arm earlier, he, he would have bled out. out. Yeah, so. Hang on. Okay, I don't, I don't know. Anyway. Maybe he didn't have. I'm going to have to, we're going to have to to watch 127 hours. Yeah, to so you can, you can watch the movie, but they did actually go back and found his amputated arm uh, and it was cremated and the ashes scattered. Oh, uh, so they didn't, put the it in the mu- they didn't put it in the museum. Why would you want to see it in a museum? The guy who survived. Maybe they're going to put him in the museum. No, well, I guess it still belonged to him, so he wanted it. Why would you cremate your arm? It's not like you'll... Well, it's, they, they couldn't reattach it. No, of course not. It's de- it's, it started eating itself yeah, away. Yeah, it's, it's decomposed. I just find it really disturbing, and I hope the rest aren't like this tonight. Oh, uh, no, they get worse. <laughs> they get worse. Great. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, these are amazing survival stories, so... You know, if, the, if let t- let me tell let me let me let me guess. Next one's about someone falling out of a plane. Yeah, absolutely right. So <laughs> this is a story about dear old uh, young Juliana Kopeck. Um, she was so, a flight attendant, wasn't she? Uh, no, she just gra- graduated from high school when she took a fateful trip, oh. uh, and it was on Christmas Eve. So what a horrible way to spend your Christmas! Isn't there also another one? And I, 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 I we'll get to this story in a second. But there's another. Uh, I'll have to Google it. Another story where the plane tail broke, and the. And that's, that's on our list. Oh, is okay. We won't jump the gun then. Yeah, Let's yeah. talk about yeah. about so this, this one. one. This one's a about dear old Juliana. So um, this was back in 1971. So she'd boarded a flight with her mum, uh, departing from Lima, Peru, to the city of uh, Capra, um to visit her father, a zoologist who was working in the Amazon. Oh, okay. So um, unfortunately, what she didn't realise is that uh, soon after takeoff, um, the flight was hit by. Uh, uh, a lightning bolt, it hit the engine, and that broke the whole plane apart. So, Cole Peck actually uh, recalled hearing the screams of her fellow passengers before she lost consciousness and the plane plunged down 10,000 feet. Well, this is what happens when you get on a plane. There no. is a chance that it can come down. Yeah, not really. Not not this. I mean... We're talking well, about back in 1971. Well, yeah, we're, not, yeah, so we're not saying today. We're saying back in 1971 when technology wasn't as best as it is today, there was always a chance that it would come back down. Well, you know, there's always a chance, but it's more and more remote now than it ever has been. thousand feet. Imagine just... Just falling. Yeah, just falling. Well, it was in sound the, at night time. Yeah, yeah, sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, she managed to survive the plane crash. So what happened, she to, won't, what happened to her mother? Because if her mother didn't survive, she's... How old? This this girl, she's so she was seventeen. Seventeen, she just had a fall from ten thousand feet. Yeah, her mum's not surviving. No one else is surviving the plane crash. No, 
She's the only one that luckily she's survived. She's the only one, but she doesn't know she's that like at the time. The, she's like Rose from Titanic. Well, actually, Rose wasn't the only one that survived, but... No. You know? Um, <laughs> I was trying to think of something so drastic. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> so, getting back anyway. to the story. Um, <laughs> so, when she came to, she had no idea how many people had survived the crash. Um, so, she woke up strapped to a seat in the middle of the Amazon with a broken collarbone, a deep gash on her calf and a concussion. Uh, she tried to find her mother but was sadly unsuccessful. Um, fortunately for her, she had spent two years with her parents on their research station. So she'd learnt a lot about surviving in the rainforest and she used that to her advantage. Um, as if she didn't have enough uh, going against her, she was also <laughs> short-sighted. So anyway... Um, there were snakes camouflaged as dry leaves uh, and all she had was a big bag of candy uh, which eventually ran out. So she walked uh, towards water knowing that it was safer to be near the water. Um, but of course in the Amazon it was really uh, hot during the day, freezing cold at night and it rained several times a day. Um, she did spot uh, a small well and she did recall her father saying that it, she should follow it downstream towards civilization. So she, she did have some um, survival skills that helped her through. Wow, I'm just forwarding, I'm just actually re, re, read it, like reading, reading the story, ahead, uh, reading yeah. ahead, and it gets a very interesting very soon. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> so, so tell us about once she tracked down this well that her father told her to go down yeah. um, to survive, of course. She found uh, some fellow passengers. Oh, you did read ahead. I did read ahead. Past all the good bits. No, 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 no. <laughs> we haven't got to the maggots oh, yet. Oh, sorry. You, you mean, oh, okay, when you say the passenger, right. So she did. She, she heard the sound of a king vulture and she knew that that species tended to land when there was rotting flesh nearby. So she followed that sound uh, where she did come across three of her fellow passengers. Sadly, they were all dead and still strapped to their seats. I wonder what killed them. The in-flight movie. No, 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 no. <laughs> Whether it was the lack of oxy oxygen from falling. Well, it's only 10,000 feet. You can Okay, so you can breathe. breathe. So that's not. Or the impact of landing. Well, they probably... Or the explosion. Or they could have died of fright, you know, heart attack, that sort of thing. I think... Which one, which one would you prefer to die of? Like, if you're in this set of plane and you're about to fall to the ground and hit something really solid, which meant that your bones are going to crack and smash and you're potentially going to have internal bleeding and be suffering. Would you like to experience that or would you like the the your heart just to pop and just for you to be dead while it's falling? Well, they all sound tempting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I would just rather uh, heart. my heart just stops. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a cardiac arrest and, and just carcass than in there. Yeah. Not that that's a pleasant experience, but... <laughs> it's better um, than the other one. Well, the thing is, is that if you hit the ground, you don't just break all your bones, you... Sp everything splits yeah. apart. Yeah. So, it's it's not like there's your a bag... Your legs might be over there. <laughs> yeah, and, and it is. It's body parts are everywhere. So, I think I'd like that less, even though that will be the result anyway. Um, so, anyway, <laughs> on, on, on this happy topic, <laughs> maybe I should have not picked this one. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so she continued on. So she her her oh. wounds had become infested with maggots. Just you know, because it wasn't bad enough um, to survive. There's always the, that yeah. maggot. Yeah. So, but by day ten, so she's ten days. She'd been walking through this rainforest. Um, she couldn't believe her eyes. She found a boat 
uh, by a gravel bank, uh, and that was uh, next to a shelter. Uh, and she remembered that her father had once used kerosene uh, on a, a wound that their dog had to um, get uh, the maggots out. Good on them. So she... Sucked up the kerosene. Yeah, sucked up the petrol from the petrol tank in the boat. Smart move, lady. Smart Put move. Put it on the maggots and she 30 just... 30 died. 30 killed. They yeah, got 30. She, she watched as 30 maggots. Oh, I feel sorry for you, love, but you, yeah. you survived. You know what's sad, though? Well, she was rescued by uh, some three uh, men that came out of the forest and she spoke with them in Spanish and explained what happened. They treated her wounds, gave her something to eat, and took her back to civilization. So, well done to those three men. Yeah. They are alive now. But anyway, she later discovered her mother had survived the initial crash, but passed several days after. Yeah. I wonder how they figured out that she passed several days after. Did she survive and walk for a bit, or did she... Like, how did they determine that? That's very interesting. Yeah, that I'm not sure. Um, they probably would have seen evidence that she'd mo- mainly yeah. maybe moved some things around or... Um, now she she now uh, 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 well now she yeah so she she can she uh, she's still alive yeah and she did she actually wrote a book uh, titled when I fell from the sky um, I would have called it crash bang boom well there you go you've now know the title of your future book should you ever fall out of an airplane <laughs> <laughs> boom so, boom bang <laughs> but you know she she still suffers uh, from Post-traumatic a bit of survivor guilt. Uh, Why she, she survived? Good yeah, enough. but she, you know, she says she's still haunted by the the thought that um, why was she the only survivor? Because God said so. That's not meant to come out. Of, no. It's, so she, all those other people. Were it was their time. It was their time. Yeah, that's the problem with religion. Well, no, no. <laughs> see, I do believe that when it's your time to go, it's your time to go. Right. And and whether you believe in God or not, God, it's not about God, it's about death. Um, your death is going to come sooner or later. It's just when it wants you. Uh-huh. It doesn't matter about religion. Uh-huh. That's just my opinion. Uh-huh. What's your opinion about death? Side oh, topic. I do, I do believe that it, when we, we all have an expiry date. So what's your expiry date? Would what? you like to know or would you not like to know? Would I like to know? Mm, no, I don't think I'd like to know. I would. What would you do with it? Just so I could plan for it. And do what? <laughs> Make sure I live the best bloody life. Well, you should <laughs> imagine, do that. Imagine the last 24 hours. It would just be a non-stop party. Yeah, but you should do that anyway. No. You, sh- you should try. I, I guess, yeah. Look. Let's be honest. If I party every day, that would just not be the best thing. Well, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, sometimes you hear those um, whimsical statements of you should live every day as if it's your last. But if you did, who would go to work? <laughs> who would who would be bothered paying their bills? And who would be, what would you do? You'd, you'd basically just be running around. We would be partying like it's 1994. Yeah, but how would you party with no income? It would be thieves <laughs> of the night. That's right. So how soon until everything descended into anarchy? If you honestly believed that every day was potentially your last, um, why would you bother with anything? Totally. Sorry, I didn't mean you on then. But, no, um, I saw just, that. I just, saw that and eye no, rolling. No, no, no. I have been... Looking at your watch I, and I looking at the list of all the things you have true. to do tomorrow. That is not true. Now, yeah. let's talk... Let's, uh, we, we, <laughs> sh- we would normally go to another break, but we've got so many on our list that we're not just... We're not going to go to a break now. Um, Joe Simpson and Simon Yates. Now... In 1985, the 25-year-old Joe Simpson and his 21-year-old climbing partner, Simon Yates, successfully 
succeeded the hard feat of climbing the 6,344 meter peak. Uh, cannot pronounce that name. Sula Grande. Thank you. On the des- descent, Simon broke his leg. Uh, now, this is interesting because this led them to believe it was a death sentence. Yeah, that was a bit extreme. It's only a broken leg, buddy. Get, get, just use the other one. What did they think Simon Yates was? And, a horse or something? And also, also, because it's descending, you don't use your legs. Well, <laughs> you're coming down. You use your arms. Or you, like... Well, if you... Sort of having to... No, no, no. You just push off with your arms. Okay. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, so, dang- dangling in the air by a rope connected to Yates, Yates attempted to lower his climbing buddy down the mountain slope for hours on end. At some, at some point, the rope ran out, leaving Yates helplessly suspended without communication between the two. Yates held up by the full weight of Simon, unsure if his friend was alive or dead. Ooh, suspense. Uh, all the while, the rope dragged Yates, and he had to make the decision to save his own life and cut down the rope, severing the link bit uh, that held up Simon. Simon thought, this is it. Like, he thought that was it. The mm. end of his life. And then he was, and that he was done for. But miraculously, I can't pronounce that word either, but... <laughs> Through the miracle of miracles, uh, he survived uh, the fall and landed in a cavern of snow. Okay, this is interesting. The snow was just down on the floor. Well, yeah, he survived the fall. This is why I don't read people. Because yeah, <laughs> yeah, So, but with a broken leg and unsustained by food and in agony, Simpson spent the next four days crawling back to camp. So, he didn't know what happened to his mate. He just sort of... Hang on, what happened to his mate? Well, his mate thought that he's, that uh, Simpson had fallen and, yeah, after he cut the rope, that he'd fallen to his death. Hang so, on, hang on, but the mate would have come down the mountain. Yeah, but I don't think It sounds like he didn't come down the mountain. No, he, it, you know, it, it's not, it probably wasn't just a sheer drop. It was probably, you know, he he went down the mountain face uh, and the other guy went Straight down Look, into the if, if I was uh, Simpson here, no, if I was Simon here, I would be saying that Joe's not a very good friend. No, it's, it's very much sounding like like um, Mr. Joe decided to leave Mr. Simon uh, for death. He probably well, did. I, I, yeah, maybe. I, I guess I, I I wasn't there, so but no. It just sounds like this way. I want. Uh, we all know that, that he lived happily ever after, uh, and that he had. He is the author of "Touching the Void," uh, published in 1988, the year I was born, um, and uh, this depicting his and Yates' near fatal climb. No one knows what's happened to Mr. Yates. He's mostly now six foot underground. Hey, if, if 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 someone okay, let's why, let's talk why, about. Why do you assume he's dead? Let, imagine it was me and you doing this, and you cut me down, oh, th- thinking that without I, a second thought, <laughs> thinking that I was dead, <laughs> and then I come, I I am alive. I'm coming for you. There is okay. no way that you're going to not have a broken leg at so, least. So so while I'm enjoying the luau and the celebration, yep. <laughs> and pretending I didn't even know who you were, yep. and they said, "Wasn't there two of you when you left?" I'm like, "No, no, no, no. that was just a snowman." Yep, yep. Um, <laughs> I'm coming up for payback. <laughs> How did he break his leg, though? Like, he must have hit it pretty hard against a rock. Well, I, I guess it's not that hard when you 
mountain climbing. I mean, it's not like they're just yeah, going for bones. a gentle walk. He forgot his milk. And <laughs> you know, but it's not only that. You know, it's it's also that the calcium in his bones yeah, were you, frail. You get your legs stuck in between a couple of rocks, and you fall wrong, and before you know it, something's cracked. Just like an arm. Yeah. Okay, now we're going to move over to Harrison O'Kane. Yeah, O'Kane. Now, this one actually was really quite... Bizarre. This, this, yeah, this one is really... Um, like, you know, for all the other stories we heard, you know, those people were... Either they were... Well, probably not the Apollo 13 because they were in a small capsule. But this guy, uh, he was the sole survivor of the uh, Jackson 4. So, he was the cook on a boat. Oh, I thought so you were talking boat. about the Jacksons, like Michael. Tito, Jermaine. No, no, no. We're talking about a different Jackson. Yeah, different, okay. completely different. So, this Jackson 4 is a boat, not Jackson 5, the band. <laughs> um, so, so, Harrison, anyway, he was the cook uh, of a crew consisting of 12 members. And he was in the bathroom when the boat capsized. Um, well, we all know the best place when a boat capsizes is in the bathroom. Well, yeah, so this is in about 100 feet with, um, and, and all the crew died, unfortunately, but he was trapped in an air pocket with only one bottle of Coke and two flashlights that he'd found. He survived. So imagine being trapped underwater, so in a capsized boat. Um, oh, I remember this one because yeah, I was, saw it on YouTube just a few days ago. There you go. I so he was there for 60 hours. Um, he, he flashed, he divers. He, there were sharks around him, yeah, 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 eating all his friends. Yeah, and then these expert divers came in, and he flashed a light or got their attention yeah, by he, grabbing they, their they hand. Could hear, they could hear the tapping on Apparently. on the hull. Oh, interesting. So the divers could hear the tapping, and and that was him. That was um Harrison, like smacking the the side of the hull, hoping to get their attention. What year was this? We don't have a year in this one. Not in the text. Oh, it wasn't that long. It wasn't that long ago. We should just Google it. Keep, keep talking while I So, Google anyway, it. so, um, so, yeah, so, uh, so it, it took almost three days for a, a dive team to find him. Um, and of course, the water was freezing. Um, uh, they, they actually then put a light on and he was just sitting, so, uh, you know, uh, up to his chest in water. 2013. Yeah, so it wasn't that long ago. Um, they they had to use hot water to warm him up and they attached an oxygen mask to him um, and he had to remain in a decompression chamber for 60 hours before he could return to the surface. Um, so That is very, very long time, people. For people who don't know, 60 hours in well, a you, decompressed you, tank yeah. to decompress your body. Well, it, it, it was the same time that he was stuck under this boat, um, underwater, you know, and, and, and that constant thought of... That's not a very large pocket of air either. So I'm surprised no, that the pocket of air lasted that long. Well, see, that's the thing. So imagine you're sitting there wondering, A, will you ever be discovered? Will you be discovered in time? How long will this air last? And you've only got a couple of torches, so you don't want to just keep them burning until you've lost all your battery power. Doesn't water create oxygen, though? Well, no, what, you you what, have to extract it. But wouldn't splashing the water create, like release the oxygen in the... No. I don't know. But like this no. is, we need to really do some science here about how to turn water into oxygen without any tools. Okay. Um, you d- you really don't, don't understand how fascinated I would be to figure out that effect <laughs> calculation. No, look, and we we can definitely do that. Yeah, but we'll do it in our own time. Eh? Yeah, but <laughs> okay. splashing splashing water won't somehow separate the oxygen molecule from the hydrogen molecule. 
Oh, well. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> let's so, anyway, <laughs> believe it or not, Harrison has vowed never to return to the sea again. And uh, sadly, he still suffers from nightmares about the whole ordeal, as you would. And he does also have survivor Look, guilt. <laughs> let's be honest. He didn't drown. Yeah, but you can't just say that. I mean, that's that's a that's a good thing. He didn't. Well, he, he, he look. Yeah, sur- but he lost eleven sur- of his sur- crewmates. Okay, what would you rather? This is what I understand about survivor guilt, right? You survived where everyone else died. Would you rather be dead? Yeah, but don't you feel any sort of remorse? Don't you feel any sort it's of sorrow? It's their fault for not being in the toilet. Okay. All right. Anyway, let's, let's like he, see what else we've got on the list. He survived. He should be good. It should be noted that some Nigerians believe he saved himself using black magic. Yeah, that's the secret. That's the secret, people. Black magic <laughs> is how you turn water into air. All right. Okay. Um, <laughs> Ada Blackjack. Let's move on to Ada Blackjack because we only got five minutes left of the show. Uh, so, to provide for her sixth son, Ada Blackjack went on an expedition heading for Ranga Island if I pronounce that correctly. Uh, she set out as a seamstress and cook uh, with a team of four members. Sorry, I've just got to move the computer close to my eyes because I'm going blind. Uh, Ellen Crawford, 20. Laura Knight, 28. Fred Mirar, uh, 28. And Militon Gull, or Galley, how we pronounce her name, uh, 19, to climb the Wrangell Island for the British Empire, founded by the Arctic Explorer. I'm not even going to attempt to say that one. Vladimir Stefasovanov. Thank you. They were supposed to be uh, picked up after a year, but the... T- <laughs> Sorry, hang on, hang on, hang on. A, t- a teddy bear. The ship was called the teddy bear. Okay, well, I didn't know that. That's why I just kind of... Okay. Um, so, basically, the trip had been forced uh, to turn back due to... Uh, impenetrable, impenetrable ice. ice. Like, this is ice that you can't get through. Yeah, so basically the ship couldn't get through the ice to go and get pick them up. So uh, they realised their supplies weren't going to last another year. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Let's pause there for a second. They turned the boat around and weren't going to come back for another year. Well, they couldn't get to them. Walk on the ice. Like, get them to walk to you. Like, if the ice is not going anywhere, they can walk on the ice, can't they? Yeah, but... It depends on how long it would have taken them to walk to the boat. And did they know, because this was in 1923, so there was no way to communicate with them. Didn't they have satellite, TV, uh, satellite phones back then? Yeah, okay. <laughs> not, um, not back then, okay. So um, now it should be noted that um, by 1923, one of the men, Laura Knight, grew ill and the rest of the team decided to leave him in the care of Black Jack and set out to find help. The only... Only they never returned. Ungrateful wretches. Why did they not return? That's my question. Ada cared for Knight for six months, taking on the difficult role of four men. She acted as the huntsman, gathering wood, hunting for food, and caring for him. All the while, Knight projected his anger onto her. Ooh, I'm not quite sure if I would like to... um, Stick around. Stick around with that one. Knight died on the 23rd of June, leaving Blackjack's... Stranded alone on the island, Blackjack left his body on the bed on his bed uh, inside his sleeping bag and put up a barricade of box to protect his body from wild animals. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Why would you protect his body, a dead man's body, from wild animals? Like, why wouldn't you bury this guy? 
Well, I don't know if she had anything with which dig to dig a deep enough hole. And the last thing you want is wild animals feasting on the body because once they finish with that body... They're coming for you. They're coming for you. So Blackjack also built a gun rack above her bed so that she would ne- not be caught by surprise if polar bears ventured too close to the camp. Uh, learned how to set traps and lure white foxes. Taught herself how to shoot birds. Built a platform above her shelter so that she could spot polar bears in the distance. And crafted a skin boat from driftwood. After nearly two years from her arrival, the ship Dave, D- uh, Donaldson rescued her. She reunited with her son and went to spend the uh, life in poverty after receiving harsh backlash against her for not caring better for night. Hang on. What happened to the other members? Where did they go? Why didn't they get the backlash? I don't know. Did they survive? I don't know. If only we knew. No, this is a story about Ada. I know. I well, think she was an amazing woman. I think she should have been rewarded. She should have been rewarded. She was reunited with her son and she went on to spend... Uh, yeah, but that's not really a reward now, is it? What? Money's a reward. Surely Knight came from a wealthy Well, account. I think it would have been nice for her to... Well, I don't know how wealthy Law Knight was. Um, but I think that, you know, obviously being reunited with your son would be a good thing. And that she survived. She survived that harrowing ordeal. And and good on her for developing all those skills to stay alive. And the fact that she cared for this ungrateful wretch who, you know, was angry and took it out on her every night. Yes. Well, uh, look, it is very interesting. And I just Googled uh, or Wikipedia'd her. um, And she was raised in a missionary who taught her to read English. She married at the age of 16 and had three children uh, with him. One, only one of whom survived infancy. She obtained a divorce and moved back to Nome with her son, Bennett, where she, uh, her mother was living. So uh, the divorce left Ada desolate or dis- destituted, uh, and she temporarily had t- to place Bennett in an orphanage where, which could care for him a little bit better. So uh, you can find that out on Wikipedia. So, uh, yeah, I, I look, interesting, interesting, interesting. I, I just want to know what happened to the rest of them because, um, yeah, I hope they got nothing. Yeah, I don't know what I kind of hope them. they died, to be, <laughs> t- to be honest. Well, like, it goes back to 1923, so I'm, I'm sure the passage of time has claimed them all. Yeah, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying... You want revenge. Uh, yes, I think she deserves revenge. Wouldn't you, if you were Ada Black, Blackjack, and you got basically shunned because you didn't supposedly care for this person enough to keep them alive for... Uh, well, that I'd be very angry about. Uh, yes, and I would want revenge. Well, I'd revenge on the well, people that I, I, left me. I would me. certainly want people to understand my side of the story because it sounds like they just didn't care by the fact that... I think that people just saw her and was like, oh, we can blame her on this one. Yeah, I think that's probably what happened. And I don't know why he was considered to be so valuable that they could then blame her for everything. 
Look, we got time. When she was the only one who stood by him. I know. We've literally got two minutes of the show left. So, uh, should we just do the Robertson family? Oh, the um, Robertson family. I don't know anything about the Robertson family, right. but that's the one I randomly scrolled to on page six. Okay. On January 1971, the Robertson family plus a hitchhiker called Robin Williams. <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't mean to laugh there. Uh, left the port of Falmouth in a 43-foot schooner called the... Lisette. Lisette. There you go. A French name, um, I think. Uh, for the next year and a half, the family sailed across the Atlantic. 17 months into their voyage, they were struck by a pod of killer bod- pods. <laughs> I'm sure that's probably meant to be killer whales. Okay, well, that says pods in there. Um, <laughs> tie pods, that's all I'm thinking. <laughs> uh, their, boats, <laughs> their boats sank and they were forced to scramble on board an inflatable life raft meant for 10 people. Douglas Robertson thought that they would sail to the centre of the Pacific and catch the current back to America. They had cans of water and rations, including dried uh, dried break biscuits, onions and fruit, enough to survive for six days. They caught rainwater in containers and hurled and hunted turtles. Interesting, the turtles in the, in the Atlantic, but okay. Uh, and fish and restore... Restored to drinking turtle blood when water ran out. Okay, this is disturbing. Uh, they also rubby, uh, rubbed turtle oil onto their skin to keep warm and treat sores. The mother, Lynn, who was a nurse, insisted they take the water through enemas mm. using tr- t- tubes, uh, knowing it would be uh, poisonous if taken orally. So, hang on. Let's talk about that. What water were they drinking? That's the bit you want to talk about. That's the bit I want to talk about. Because if they know that it's poisonous if taken orally... She's talking about salt water. Oh. So take it up the butt. Well, no, I don't think that that's... An enema tube. That no, goes I, I know, yeah, I know what an enema is. I'm, I'm saying I don't think that is in any way a better way of consuming salt water. But apparently it's not poisonous if you do it that way. No, no, I don't think that's I don't think that's accurate. Okay. Um, after sixteen days, the raft became unstable, and they took turns sitting in the dry part of the boat. Oh, okay. A uh, Japanese trawler, the Tokamaro, two spotted the distress flare on the twenty third of July, nineteen seventy two. After thirty eight days in their ordeal, well, good on them. They all survived. They all survived, uh, even with their water enemas. <laughs> I oh think dear. I wonder what happened to their enemas. I don't um, want to know about that. But well, good on, uh, I feel sorry for the turtles. Why? You have, uh, you have to. You I know you have to survive. You have to survive. Like, you know. there's plenty of turtles in the sea. Well, you know, they're just sort of swimming around, having a good time, and all of a sudden they get. How do they hunt for them? That's what I want to know. You just pluck them out of the water. But they're not at the shallow end. No, but they come to the surface. Do they? Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that brings us to the end of the hour. <laughs> um, I wouldn't ex- Dense of hour this has been. Yeah. Um, that has been some greatest survival stories. If you want to uh, like us on Facebook and tell us that you want... <laughs> that you survived. That you survived this episode. Yeah. Uh, please find us on DRN1. Or you have your own survival story. Yes. Did you survive a bear hunt? Or anything. A shark attack. Or anything. A turtle. Yeah. Like, what did you survive? Give us a call. How well, did you survive? How did you survive? Well, 
we just yeah, send us a message. I'm sure we yeah, got time to look. Yeah, did life flash before your eyes? Well, they do say it gets warm before you die. Did they? Yes. Oh, oh. There you go. I don't know. I haven't experienced it. No. Um. Anyway, we are going to be out of here for another week. This has been a sound bites. <laughs> I'm Russell. <laughs> I'm Peter. <laughs> and thank you for listening. And thank you for joining. And uh, we're out of here. Bye. Bye bye.